0: Hey guys welcome back to the elevate hd podcast my name is holly i'm your host and today we have a very special guest on in the form of john Dewitt, who i'm very excited to have on and um, if you don't know who john is i'd be shocked but he is an ifbb pro bodybuilder he is a three-time olympian he's a very highly qualified educator and mentor He's also the founder of J3 University which is a course that I am currently enrolled in at the moment and I'd highly recommend it to anyone who wants to upskill their knowledge and become a better athlete, a better competitor and a better coach. Um, Yeah and John is just a very highly respected individual in the industry and I just had to reach out to him and ask him to come onto my podcast and he thankfully accepted. Uh, So John welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Holly, and uh, what a kind introduction. (laughs) I now have to live up to all this hype that you just put ahead of me, but...
0: No pressure.
1: (laughs) I truly, truly appreciate any time I have to come on and just share share information about myself or what I've done. Um, So, again, very appreciated.
0: So today we have decided to have the topic of kind of setting yourself up for a productive off-season and potentially troubleshooting any issues you may come into contact with through your off-season. Both myself Mm -hmm. and John are in the middle of our off-seasons right now so we thought it would be quite topical. Um, What I find interesting as well when I went through kind of the J3 university style of off-season is I think the original view of off-seasons is it's kind of that like perma-bulk thing where you just increase calories linearly, you're just eating more and more, you just keep training and there's no kind of periodization involved at all. Um, So when I saw the kind of style you set out that you had these periods to kind of segregate the off season, it sounds much more productive and it makes a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, um, I've I've done done it the wrong way (laughs) (laughs) for a long time. Uh, Because when I first started bodybuilding for one, we didn't have all this information that was out there. So it's just kind of like whatever you were exposed to, And I I did the off season where you just keep pushing food the whole time and you're almost chasing a scale number. Like, okay, I know I need to get to this new body weight high, but the the kind of the rate of where that progress should have been, it, it wasn't quite accurate. So I ended up accruing like body fat really quickly. Then you get to a point that's pretty suboptimal where you're then like really pushing down food and there's this more partitioning happening to like body fat. And you kind of like just push that aside, like, Oh, don't worry. I'll, I'm going to diet it off later on. Um, This new tissue will be there. Uh, But performance usually kind of still moves along well, because you have like good leverage with being just a bigger body. But then the the reality set in when I finally had a diet and I ended up having to diet off like 50 pounds of body weight. And I was like 20 pounds lighter on stage than what I thought I was going to be. So it was like, wow, like all, all that just, and for, for, for what um, I've done other off seasons where like, I really kind of almost underfed and barely changed in stage weight, which um, le- leaving like too, too much on the table as far as that goes. So um, I got to like, had to think through this process. And um, it was when I worked with like Matt Jansen, when he really gave me a good approach on like when to push up in body weight, when there should be times where you're actually pulling back. And if things go too far, there should probably be times when you clean up body fat and you kind of reset to where you have some more runway again in the off season. So that's what I I laid out. And what I currently do in in J3U of having, I I just turned them like push phases, holding phases and fat loss phases, whatever you want to call them. You can Mm -hmm. name something way cooler than that if you wanted to, but times where like actively moving up body weight strategically and progressively, And and then, um, having phases where there probably should be a phase where you're maintaining that or holding, um, this might be a time when you're, you know, washing off fatigue or restoring health markers. Um, and then phases where like, if you have an extended off season, body fat does accumulate, you might have like a mini cut or a fat loss phase and then toggle between these phases kind of, kind of as needed. Mm
0: -hmm. And then when you're setting up an off season for either yourself or for a client, and you set these phases of like push, hold, cut, do they have defined time periods or do you kind of auto-regulate based on the individual and how they respond?
1: Yeah, so like in J3U, I kind of had to give some just generalized template, but all of it has to be auto-regulated. So when I do have like a a client like first come on, um, it's usually saying I have like, for one, when are you planning to compete again? But let's also see like what needs to happen before then. And that kind of really establishes the timeline. So how what level is this person at? Like how much muscle do, do I have? Can maybe anticipate they might need and what that rate might be. And that will set the initial timeline up. So uh, you have to be pretty realistic about how fast that you can grow. And so it's kind of at, at this initial point when we're entering into like, this might be a push phase, um, kind of seeing what that rate is, how fast they do grow. And then, and how fast they accumulate body fat and then I can kind of see out initial timeline. But as far as like transitioning, if I'm you know, adding in food, we're adding in, if it, it's an enhanced competitor, we're, we're progressing up PEDs at the same time, and we'll reach some point where things become fairly suboptimal. It might be, usually it's a more decreases in appetite and food is just, it's unsustainable at this point. Um, it could be health markers are getting diminished which we're checking like blood pressure, blood glucose and lab markers every 10 to 12 weeks. um, It might be that we're just seeing body fats to a point where we need to bring it back down and not to the point where you're not able to grow tissue as well, but it might be to a point where hey, at some point we need to get down to 3% body fat and dieting from 20% body fat is a long stretch in one. So it might be a time like, yeah, we need to stay within some type of range with regard to being a competitor. Um, And so these are the markers that I'm kind of like watching for. And then when I hit that that point, it might be, okay, move to a, a holding period. And what caused that stop point in your push phase kind of determines how long you might need to stay in that holding phase or gain-tame phase or whatever you like to call it, like if it's health markers, like, okay, well, we need to see these health markers return to this baseline before we move into this next push phase. Or maybe it was just an accumulation of just training fatigue, which that might be might be shorter lived. Um, maybe it's restoring appetites and, and hunger signaling, which it could be a couple weeks, you know, so just depends on what caused the stop point in the push phase. And then transition into the period from there. But yeah, it definitely is auto-regulated. And I just find everyone varies quite a bit, but um, I try to really pull out a good 20 to 24 weeks of a, a push phase, um, just progressively increasing. Um, with, within that, there might be some mini kind of, well, I would have like a deload week and food's kind of brought down closer to maintenance during that. Um, but as far as like a good stretch of holding, it might be after that like 20, 24 week period, six to eight weeks, then move on to the next phase from there, depending on what the goal is. And if we achieve what we did out of the last like push up phase.
0: Yeah. I, I have a question It's kind of set aside from just off season in general, but I hear a lot of people using maintenance phases as a way to almost like, solidify the new muscle or to marinate it or something I'm not sure how scientifically that that is I don't know whether it's just a bit of bro lore um but it's a nice thought to know that you're not necessarily just maintaining what you have you're actually allowing it to kind of sit and settle a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah um I, I've tried to pull where maybe some of that data was from I think there was like a a blood flow restriction study um it was in I believe it was untrained i I'd have to actually look back to get the details, but they believe it was untrained subjects. And basically they just thrashed these guys for like two weeks to where there was like cell swelling and and like fluid uh, inflammation. And then they, they um, actually didn't see an actual change in actual fiber, fiber amount. They actually decreased um, tissue size during that, that training period. And, but then two weeks after they saw an increase in, in new fiber, um, level. So it might be that there is, at least in this study, there was kind of like, oh, there's this delayed effect or this super compensation effect. And I, I think that's a different interpretation of what was actually shown within that study. Um, I, I think you kind of overtrain guys and then they're actually able to finally recover from from the training because um, we don't normally train people like that in general. So you have to say like, is there this kind of super compensating effect that happens over this overtraining period. And I haven't seen quite the data to really confirm that. Um, I know like as far as growth phasing happening, it looks like there is a process to adding new tissue and it's not, you're not adding tissue like, you know, day two after training, it's, it's a process of, you know, increasing cellular components within the muscle um, the ribosomes and, mitochondria and all these things that are going to be creating the tissue and then tissue creation starts happening. Um, so it's been proposed that like, yeah, maybe it is more extended period where this growth of actual contractile tissue occurs, but it's really early. Like I haven't seen a lot of data on it. Um, someone that's really in that field could probably, I'm sure cite that better. But, uh, as far as like marinating the gains, um, (laughs) I like, I like the idea of it just anecdotally, it seems to get guys to like hold in a, and hold that tissue for a period of time and, and more adapt to that body weight helps to solidify once you go back into a dieting phase. Now to back you with like that and stuff, I can't do it. And I don't think, I don't think there is any to. It's kind of a hypothetical and theoreticals around it. Um, but I think there's several other reasons why we should do like more of a, a maintenance phase or, or gain phase. Um, And I think more so, like, say you were to go from a push phase immediately to a fat loss phase. Uh, For one, it's just, like, setting up the the diet as well. You're coming from really high to immediately drop into a low. You might not be as accurate in making that first first pull. Um, Then also moving from a push phase, you do accumulate a lot of fatigue in this. Your your training volume has been increasing. Food's been increasing. And at the end of this, you really need to be able to do something with that um, and have some type of recovery period there. So there still needs to be some type of deload or removal of this fatigue at the end to immediately jump right into a fat loss phase. uh, That's going to be further accumulating this fatigue likely could lead to decreases in performance and maybe muscle loss. Uh, it, It is a potential there. So it makes sense that there should be some phase between the two uh to prevent like that that loss or uh further accumulation of fatigue from occurring um i I know the idea of maintaining isn't sexy uh people like this is a maintenance phase like this is terrible like i don't like it's always a mindset of like progressing forward um but you know i think it's terminology thing like some people like gain like you know maintain the gains Um, But I I always, you know, when I worked with, with Matt, he was like, a lot of guys, when they're, you know, getting in their push phases and PDs are escalating, it's really exciting and motivating because they're like, they feel like they're in a point where you can really make progress. And once you have to get to a point of backing down PDs, it feels like I'm not really able to make progress now. And and that motivation dwindles, then they're not as accurate with their food and they're not as accurate with their training. And it's really in that point is when you need to be nailing it more than anything. So you truly can hold that tissue that you made on less PEDs and have all the health restorative effects that occur. And um, when I was working with Matt, like that's what I, I love the training piece. So that's what it worked really well. Like uh, nothing changed much like, you know, regulating fatigue was always there, but um, moving to this, like more of a maintenance phase, is the execution of all the variables was the same to where you're setting yourself up for the next phase to be extremely productive rather than having this kind of drop off as you're having to pull back on pds and trying to build back up again
0: i think the better way to look at it instead of looking at like a phase by phase level to look at the broader picture and see okay maybe this one phase, I might not be progressing, but it is setting me up for further progression that otherwise I wouldn't be able to take. So it's that kind of delayed gratification thing that people kind of need to look at, which is bodybuilding. Like it is delayed gratification. You don't see results overnight for anything that we do. Um, so it's that kind of mindset you have to establish.
1: Yeah. It's kind of looking at the macro scale, right? Like there's a point A to point B that you're trying to get to, um, that path is not going to be straight for a lot of people. There's going to be turns along the way. So, Hey, end outcome, this is where we want to be. And this is the steps that we need to take to get there. Um, and, and so I think if most people's mindset is like, no, you're just going to grow as much as as you possibly can the whole time. And it just, it just doesn't happen. And even, even back when I tried to do it that way, um, if you didn't do a, like a deload or a maintenance phase or something, it just, Came to you anyway, um, it, it, and not by choice, which is not how you really want it. So, like an injury would happen. Oh, damn! I have to take like a week off now because because of this. Or um, you know, you get sick, or you end up starting to miss meals because you just cannot single to muster up to push food down. Or life happens too. Like there's just situations in life with higher job requirements or school requirements where during this phase the the total stress load is so much higher to really make like new progress is just limiting. It's like during times like that, it might've been best to like just pull back and have more holding and then move when you're able to really maximize all the variables, then push back up then. So it, if, if you're not doing it by choice, it usually comes to you and it's going to make you do it without your, without your consent. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think like when, when Joe and I were discussing deloads on my last uh, podcast, he kind of used the analogy of a bow and arrow. So like in the load, you're kind of pulling the arrow back so it feels like you're regressing, but it's only to propel yourself forward so you can let go of it and it just shoots off further. So that was kind of a nice way to think about it because I think it is, it can be hard mentally for a lot of competitors and athletes who are always thinking, what can I do? I need to do more. You know, it's always that mentality of, you know, no one can work as hard as me. So to take that step back, can be a bit mentally challenging, I think.
1: Yeah, there's such an emotional connection with, with all this stuff, right? A, a lot, like for me, I got into it because of like training felt like a therapy in a way. Uh, and it, it still does. So that connection with it, it's hard to remove some of the emotion and the decisions when you need to finally, at some point say like, hey, what what is the best thing for me to do versus what do I want to do? and especially at this level uh, it's a maturity thing of like yeah hey, i, I want to be the best so i have to remove like emotions and really challenge my viewpoints. and like even going through all j through u it it challenged a lot of things that i i had thought too because i had to ask myself like why why do you do this and can you explain it and some stuff's like man if you can't rationalize around it or, or justify it um is it right or is it just based on you know you, what, what you like to do like for me i was the hard failure training, like, you know, failure, whatever you want to term that has, uh, but basically super high efforts. And, um, you know, with very limited deloads. And so there was a connection emotionally to like training at that effort level, being able to like harness, like, all right, during this set, I'm going to outwork everyone. Right. Like no one's going to take it to this level. And the idea that, Hey, that might not be the best thing. It's like, well, how am I going to outwork people then? Um, and so there's a, there's a mental workaround you're going to have to do to disconnect the emotions and find ways of like, what's the best choice for me. Um, and that's, uh, that comes, I think with time, but also I had to have more buy-in and understanding belief and like, okay, this is, this is the best thing. And I really want progress and that's where I'm heading for. And this is the way that I'm going to be doing it. I think a lot of people just don't believe it. Um, they don't have the buy-in. So it's, it's hard to, to do it at that point.
0: Yeah I think like historically bodybuilding wasn't the most like you You didn't go into it to learn and to explore and to study so a lot of people kind of go to their gym and just do as everyone else was doing follow that kind of religion that everyone was following um, and like one of my favorite phrases is knowledge is power so and I've always explored everything to kind of get a better awareness of it and make my own educated decisions um, so being able to educate yourself but also not being stuck in the mud in your views. And if a research paper, or something comes out tomorrow for you to be able to read it, interpret it and change your opinion, because there's nothing wrong with being wrong or changing your opinion, as long as you admit it, uh, they're willing to kind of change your views based on what we know now and what we have available to us.
1: Yeah, you have to uh, always, like I always, that's what I always say, like, hey, I'm a, I'm a forever student. And with that mindset, for one, I think it keeps me humble. <laughs> Yeah. And, and never up on a pedestal of like this is the way to do it and there's no other way. I think once you get set in those viewpoints, for one, you stop learning and you, you lose the openness to change your ways because because things will change and there might be some some better ways to do things or, or ways that you might even pick up from someone else that you might not to complete implement every aspect of it but at least some portions and I've done that along the way through a lot of people that that I've, I've learned from and um, that's been a valuable tool set of, of not having this only one track mind and being open-minded the entire time to, to to learn other ways.
0: Yeah. Cause it's not just like progression and training in terms of load and reps that we want to strive for. We want to progress our knowledge and like our technique and our skills to be a better bodybuilder. Cause bodybuilding itself is a skill, like being able to be accurate, being able to do the right things. And that all takes time, um, and like, that's why usually for a first competition prep, no one really ever gets lean enough because they haven't developed that skill of, of getting lean. So all of these things take practice and the same with kind of furthering your knowledge. It's only going to help you and propel you the next time you compete or the next time you start an off season. So you just get better each time.
1: I think in certain aspects, I think bodybuilding could be one of the harder Sports, because for one, when you initially get into it, like in school, like when I was growing up, like if you went into football, you'd have like all these coaches that you actually had around you. Like when I first started bodybuilding, like you didn't have anybody, you know, you had to like somehow learn something on your own um, and, or mimic some other guys that you're watching or read magazines to try to learn. So um, but in athletics, you had people to just show you, hey, this is what you do and guide you. But in bodybuilding, wasn't quite like that. So you, ha- you had to self-educate to some extent. And then in a lot of sports, you could excel pretty far without having to worry about your diet. You know, in school, like we football or basketball, like we weren't really having to think about like food. But then in bodybuilding, there was this aspect of like, oh, food really, really matters because we we're trying to change our composition. And so it's now it's like this 24-7 thing of like, the food matters. The sleep matters, and and you have to piece that all together. So in certain aspects, it is very challenging because you have to take. You have to wear pretty much many hats as a bodybuilder, uh, being your own like nutritionist, trainer, uh, you know, health advocate, uh, posing coach. Like, uh, well, hopefully, you have all these things around you. But that's like a multidisciplinary team. Um, even as a coach, you have to wear many hats in your you're you're you 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 do not just have one narrow scope it it definitely bleeds into many other areas um but uh yeah i think that's kind of the the fun part of it as well
0: yeah no it's, it's it's interesting the way there's so many facets to it it's not just one skill there's like so many skills to have to nail to be at the top and to be the best uh so it can be challenging as a coach to be able to visualize that i also think like in terms of off season for a coach um trying to assess progress with the client can be challenging when you can't necessarily see it directly visually um, and you're not seeing like more definition or more lines every week you're kind of seeing the opposite so it's hard to kind of gauge you know where the progress is and and are we are we going along at the right rate that we want to be um so in terms of that what would you recommend in terms of markers of progression like what do you look for in terms of variables to track when the photos are, obviously we still use them, but they're not gonna be as telling as if we were to start getting shredded for a a show.
1: Yeah, um, I I think you were were just on my live stream, right? For kind of (laughs) discussing, but um, yeah. So for looking at tracking progress in the off season, um, body weight, it is one that's like a more valuable tool still. Uh, especially I, you know, I say for naturals, because if really for a natural, like if, if body weight's not moving up, you're, you're really not growing. Um, I, I could be fairly affirmative with that because the idea of recomping for a natural, that's not someone that's coming off a layoff or that's detrained for some reason, or that, um, uh, is early on in their career where this, this potential might be happening, then for the most part, we're not going to really see recomping occur, uh, and so you need to be in a surplus to where body weight should be driving up. So the scale is pretty helpful in that, in that we need to see. And I like to see average body weight dra- driving up because if you're just having your clients look at like one single day, uh, you might catch them on a day where maybe they had some meals late or they. Also, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they didn't get a lot of fluids in the day before. So you might catch them on a day where like, oh man, body weight like dropped this week, but it really wasn't. It was just, you're catching them on the wrong day. So I still in the off season, if it's mentally okay for the client to track weight daily, and then I'll get an average for the week, then I'll track that average over time. And I want to make sure that we're seeing it trend up and that how much it should be trending up is going to be dependent on their level. And then what I see visually. So the level, so if they're a beginner, we should be able to see that move up relatively quickly, um, 05 to 1% every one to two weeks. Someone more advanced, that's just going to be a slower rate because they can't grow as quickly. So it might be 025 to 0.5% body weight increase every one to two weeks. Then if that scale weight's increasing, cool. Let me look at the visuals. And then if I'm seeing like, oh, man, they're vastly fading and conditioning. I'll know maybe this rate is too fast for this individual and I should back down the surplus. Or, um, if they're like staying really conditioned, I'm like, Hmm, that's great and all, but I might be leaving something on the table by limiting food. Uh, and so I I do want still like enough. There should be probably some body fat gain occurring just to make sure you're not leaving much on the table. Now, I don't want to overshoot. There has to be, there's a fine line to ride there because if you're again, gaining, you don't want to be intentionally gaining fat so quickly that you cut your off season short, but you also, like I said, don't want to leave those that that progress there on the, on the table for people. Mm. Um, Then, so we have like, we're looking at our body weights going up. We have visuals. We're like, okay, like condition looks relatively good. Does this also correlate with training? And so for all my clients now, I I just do nutrition and training. I used to separate the two, but they're so connected. I just said from now on, like, I'm going to do everything. Like, this is, this is how it comes. Um, So I'll have them log their, their loads and reps. And so I can follow along and like, I use Google drive. And so I'll make sure like I'm seeing load rep progressions across the weeks and months. And then that should correlate with, okay, body weight's moving up, performance is moving up. This might be relative. Relatively good indicator that we are adding tissue on um why can't i say it's like a confirmation that we're adding tissue on uh because it's it's hard to really see muscle gain in pictures from just week to week you won't see it um you only see conditioning changes really you could do circumference measures and skin fold calipers but again the error just within those is not going to be you know um it's going to be large enough to where you don't see the change and even some of the other measures of like a DEXA or um, different scans that you could do it's still the air is still large within those to where we won't be able to tell week to week even month to month so the best gauges that we're going to have is the proxy of making sure training performance is moving up and we have scale weight moving up and visuals are staying within within reason but some body fat gain is acceptable to happen
0: yeah and then alongside that do you use things like hrv or resting heart rate or blood glucose or anything like that to complement the training the body weight all that kind of stuff yeah
1: yeah yeah so um definitely like those first ones were the big ticks of like how we're making sure like some type of progression would be occurring Um, but i also need to be accurate about when i'm seeing body weight increases and maybe body fat changing in ways I don't want. Like, why why is that happening? So I need some tracking tools to kind of break down it down farther of like what I might be seeing. Um, I will track now like daily steps for clients and not an average. I want to see it daily because I'll have days where step count's really low. Then that's the days you see maybe weight jumps up the next day. You're like, okay. But I'll, I'll have that averaged out for the week. So then I can really piece together the output side a little bit more. Like, oh, wow, I've had I've had off, guys in the offseason where food's getting high and you just get more lethargic and you kind of want to sit around a little bit more. You think like <laughs> coming out of a prep, you're like, oh, man, I have all this energy with more food. And you do and you do. But it, it kind of gets the opposite eventually to where higher food intakes makes you more lethargic and sit more. So I'll see I'll see step count trend downward and then body fat gain will start really accumulating just because the surplus is greater. So you have to be accurate about tracking your output as well. So that's, that's one aspect is tracking, tracking uh, steps. Um, I won't track HRD, uh just because it does appear it's better of like a long-term trend and especially maybe like endurance training, it's different, but for at least for resistance training, the daily change in it, I haven't seen it to be that indicative of like, should you train today or, or not? Um, I still think our subjective markers are some of the best ones to do, which you kind of know when you feel like shit, <laughs> when you feel great. Um, so I'll use a perceived recovery scale, like a scale of one to ten. Ten being you feel amazing and energetic, um, well rested. One being you know you feel absolutely t- trash, zero motivation to train, highly fatigued, let, no energy. And so I'll have that rating daily. Like you wake up and you rate yourself on the, on this scale. And, um, I do kind of have a, in my weight training sheet, I like a yes or no question mark of questions of like, if you answer yes to two of these questions, it would mean like, take take a light session for the day. So if they don't ask me, at least they have some tool there of, about what they should do if fatigue was really high. Um, and so I'll use that recovery scale. Then also i um, tracking sleep daily too. How many hours you slept that night and Uh, to give some insight of about how this week overall went fatigue wise. And so that can give me some, some variables for helping adjusting if we need to go ahead and move into a deload, or if um, it was the fact of that, that their body weight didn't change, but these other variables weren't applied, you know, like uh, they, maybe they had a high step count for some reason, their activity really jumped up and that's why body weight wasn't increasing or, their sleep was really off this week. I was like, man, that's really suboptimal. I, I don't want to push food yet until you really are maximizing all these variables. Um, and then the other ones that you didn't mention to that I do track are uh, fasting blood glucose. Um, usually once a week for mainly my enhanced clients. I won't do it a lot with, with natural clients. Um, and then blood pressure as well at least with the natural clients, I think we should check blood pressure like at least once a month just to make sure it's good. But for enhanced clients, it's a little different because blood pressure can accumulate and and raise quicker. So I do, we'll have that tracked once a week too. And if an anomaly pops up where like there's a high marker, then I'll be like, all right, let's track it three days this week and see what the average is to see if that was just a day where it came up higher or if it actually is trending up and, and this is an indicator that we should be pulling back into like a holding phase or something like that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. It's just so important to kind of get a well-rounded view of what's going on because like by just looking at one variable in isolation like your body weight or something, it's it's just not telling the full picture, especially in off season when you are a little bit blind in terms of muscle gain because you can't really see it. So that's yeah.
1: I, I used to just uh have clients just like send pics and they'd send like their weights. And uh, I had some, just two generalized, you know, questions that they would ask, like how was training this week? How was your sleep this week? And a lot of the answers I would get were like, training was good and sleep was good too. Everything is good. (laughs) Like, (laughs) is it though? (laughs) So that's when I'm like, I start now, like we do this daily tracking and for one, it keeps clients like uh, aware and and, and also able to remember what, what happened that single day. And they're like, Oh yeah, I only slept six hours last night. I felt terrible today versus at the end of the week. They don't, they like that day's already gone. You don't remember it. So like, you know, I ask you Holly, like, Hey, how many hours did you sleep four nights ago?
0: Yeah. Like,
1: I don't know. <laughs> right. Like maybe it was enough. I think it was good. And so that's like, well, what do you, what do you do with that? And like good for Holly might not be good for me. Um, good in training. What is good in training? Is it, Hey I took a str- like a strength progression on every single lift or is it just one lift so that's when I, I changed it using like just these daily and trying to get more um, you know ob- objective things like in place but also better subjective feedback from clients that aren't like yes, nos and goods It has to be like a good number or something that's quantitative that I can do something with. Um, And then uh, I I just, I didn't mention either for, for training. um, I will also have a section in this, like, it's this like spreadsheet file that goes across of what they're logging, um, which will basically ask them like, Hey, what body part was trained that day? Um, Were you able to progress in performance? And basically it's a one, two or zero strength drop strength up, strength down. Uh, Were you able to connect with all the muscle groups you're training? and get a pump or some type of extent. And then the last question is, um, were you sore after this training session? So I have some rough degree, like maybe if of like what that stimulus was for the day, if they're having any issues that are cropping up on certain movement patterns and to address that piece um, of, of the training.
0: Yeah, I also have on my tracker, like a motivation to train because that, that's yeah. important as well to know like, were you like dreading this session? Are we excited to train? Cause that can make a difference as well.
1: No, that, that's a huge one. And, and like, that's, uh, it's like a, a better understood one. This like versus like my perceived recovery scale. Right. Mm. Because kind of get like, yeah, I wasn't, I had a lot of fatigue today, low energy, but that usually comes about as like low motivation. Right. Too. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, I think, um, one that I don't have that you definitely could have like was like a, a hunger score, mm. um, which, uh, usually I just have a section where they just fill in like, General basic feedback like, hey, having troubles any around meals, hunger, digestive issues. So it's like all the all the a section that they can just type in freely. Um, anything that you track that I didn't
0: mention? I do. Well, I do like motivation to train. I do pumps out of ten, uh, soreness, progression, uh, like appetite, digestive issues. Yeah, pretty much all all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no,
1: I think doc- it does a great job. Like painting the full picture of what's going on with someone for the week to where I see all this now and it's like it makes it so much easier to to make a change. Um, before it could feel like you're just kind of rolling the dice and seeing what what sticks versus being more accurate and pulling out. And what I have been finding in the offseason is is usually people are just far too um, lose routine mm-hmm. comparatively to their contest prep. And it really limits the amount of changes that I can really make progression forward because they're just so inaccurate Mm. in all their execution.
0: Um, Oh, and saying that, I also have another uh, question on mine from Joe, which is accuracy to plan. And you have to say out of 100% how compliant you are. So that would help with things like that when you start to get a bit slack in the off season. You
1: you need like a bullshit meter too. How many people just like? Yeah, I'm right on 100. Holly, I nailed it this week. And you're like, yeah, I can, I can see your picks too. Like, no, you didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, the scale on the visuals will say something else. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you can put what you think is 100, but like, I'll actually be the judge of that.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, but it's
1: it's, uh, <laughs> it's 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 challenging, like, because that is the case. Like, moving into an off season period and you're in prep, you're so routine, you understand, like you're going to be getting on stage and you need to implement all these variables exactly like you, your coach said, and the off season, you look forward to it because you are going from a very like strict dieting state to hopefully like a less rigid approach and the less rigidity. It it still needs to stay within like these structure guidelines. Um, But I think that's where like, there's this gray area that forms with clients where they're not as accurate with the things that really do matter. Um, Like, the timing of their meals, the timing of, of sleep, the the quality of it, um, you know, all this stuff is tied together and, and not separate. You know, each variable affects the other one. And uh, I feel like a mindset of a lot of clients don't connect all those dots that like, hey, eating my meal at this time won't matter. Or, you know, going to bed a, a, an hour earlier, an hour later, you know, won't, won't matter, but it all does. And that's what you do really well on prep. And you see those like great outcomes for a lot of people, but in off season, that's where you can really fall short to where you're missing the marks so much in sleep and stress management and in meal timing that you end up getting to a point where you are kind of maintaining. And then any like time we're pushing food, it's like more just fat gain. You're not able to have enough re- recovery um, uh, available to drive adaptation processes you need.
0: Yeah, I find that like sometimes you're there's two teams. There's the people who take off season in the literal sense <laughs> off. And then there is the other side who are like, like I went to a JP seminar a couple of years ago, and he is of the mind that you are always on prep, whether you are in a gaining phase or you're in a fat, fat loss phase, you're always on prep. So that's kind of the other extreme. I like to sit somewhere in the middle where I have that structure, but I do have that flexibility. Um, But it is kind of difficult, like the gray area is always harder than the black and white extremes. So, and also as bodybuilders and people who are kind of type A obsessive personality types, it can be kind of hard to find that middle ground.
1: Yeah. I, like for me, like the flexibility, like that I build in and try to build in for clients is like moving from, cause in prep, I do have like a more strict based, like food model that they should be following with maybe some options, but it's pretty limited because I need to know really how you're responding those later weeks of prep to certain foods. Um, but then the off season, I want people to move closer to more of a macro base plan where they can, they can pick options or they can fit things in as they need. And that's acceptable. I, in my mind um, it's when it's not as accurately tracked and you're getting extra food in place um, and not accounting for those calories, then your your surplus or deficit, whatever you're trying to do in that phase uh, is missing the mark. And that's when, when you're, not able to do so so that's at least what the the food aspect i think is is how i kind of uh, approach that
0: so what's your kind of opinion on off plan or cheap meals quote unquote because like say for me i actually have a food instagram account as well and like i'm obsessed with food so in my off season i really enjoy being able to explore that facet of my life um but obviously, I have to incorporate that into the plan somehow, uh, which can be a bit tricky. So I don't know whether do you prescribe off plan meals to your clients or do you just say, you know, at the weekend, relax a little bit or.
1: Yeah, I, you know, honestly, it, it is dependent on the client because I have clients that are kind of like the really OCD, like neurotic, like they need a structure and plan and, and it gives them anxiety to not have that. Then I have the other clients that are like the free spirits, like real whimsical, like they hate structure, um, despise it, and they just want like <laughs> to just live their life, right? And those are the challenging ones that are hard to get into like being like these like really progressing like physiques. Um, but I want to like try to like cross pass a little bit with, with these individuals. So for guys that really like a lot of structure, um, that's fine. But then I'll try to start building into their diets like they like they want me to tell them, like, I want to know to eat like 150 grams of chicken at this meal. Like, I don't want to have to think about it like, okay, that's fine. Um, Let's try to build in a little bit, though. So I'll say, hey, have 10 grams of carbs from any fruit that you want. And so then you're like, okay, I have to actually choose something. So I try to build some flexibility into those guys so they start learning because after bodybuilding, you're going to have to think for yourself and be able to make these choices. Um, the other clients that like just want to do untracked eating the completely time, like we're gonna have to track something. So it's like, what are you willing to track at what level? And and then working them back into, into that. Um, but as far as like my general approach for like getting someone to do like an untracked meal, yeah, usually I start with someone like if we're coming out of a prep, hey, once a week, just go have a meal, something you enjoy. Um, off plan, no, no, no tracking needed. And and then but I will kind of gauge what that person's mindset is. Cause, cause if I have any red flags come up about um, like a binge restrict type pattern or someone like that might not be uh, appropriate for that individual. Um, and they might cause them to go off into a binge. They might need some extra guidance initially. Like, Hey, I want you to go out. I want you to like, where, where you want to go? And let's pick some items beforehand. And so we have some type of guidance there of like what they know to do. So there's a, there's a little bit like control, um, but before we just let them like go, go off and, and do everything they want. So usually off someone, how, how someone can handle their own untracked meals, what will guide me. Um, some people like, if, if it does turn into like, oh yeah, untracked meal and I eat a large pizza and and not from like a binge perspective, but just like, Hey, I can eat a large pizza. I'm a, I'm a big guy. Um, and I see them like go up like five pounds that day and it sticks. It's like, Okay. I need to ring, ring you back in. Let's, um, let's put a calorie allotment to the meal, or let's like just pick some meals that like would be okay to do that. You could rotate between. So I try I just, it just really depends on the client how I want to set it up doing untracked meals. But ideally I like something like once a week, as long as it's not throwing off progress for our ultimate, ultimate goal there. Um, like for Renee and I, my wife, we just mainly do macro matching, but our meals are pretty much the same. Um, it's just like, hey, if we don't want rice, this meal we will have potato. And so it's kind of like that. Uh, maybe once a week, we'll make a meal at home that is trying to be something you would go out to eat. Like we'll make homemade pizza or spaghetti or things like that, but fit within our macro. So it doesn't throw us off plan in any, any way, but it keeps us like adherent still to our, our diet and, and meeting that kind of craving or whatever that we want. Then maybe it's like every two weeks, we might go out to actually have something that's like maybe not even that often. I think it's maybe every three or four weeks that we'll actually go out and just have like something just like a pizza or a burger. It's super rare, like for us to eat like that. Usually if we're going out to eat, we're mindful of our physiques and and usually it's like fajitas or like Greek food or something where it's like already meat and rice kind of based. Um, So even if we go off planet, it it doesn't doesn't really impact us, so.
0: Yeah, I think... Most people know how to go out to eat and be moderate and considerate, but they just kind of choose not to (laughs) because it's more fun. Uh, Because someone like me, like, I'm a small female, but I have a huge appetite. Like, I never get full. I never have appetite issues. So I need to be careful with my off-plan meals because I could eat a large pizza even though I'm not, like, a 100-kilo bodybuilder, you know, so. (laughs) Well, that's
1: the thing. Like, uh, Renee, she'll eat as much food as I do. Like, she can match me, and, like, I'll get stuffed, and she's like, I could eat some more (laughs)
0: That's me.
1: <laughs> uh, so like in, in that instance, it's like, okay, where are we going, Renee? Like, okay, sushi. Okay, we know you can eat four sushi rolls and that like bumps your body weight way more than what we want for the week. Hey, go have two sushi rolls, whatever you want. So it's like there's something in place there like to, to have like some moderation, but still some freedom to pick like well, I can pick whatever sushi rolls I, I want. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's, it's also – it's tough because you want to build in like some hunger signaling cueing that to help people like know when to stop eating In prep, we kind of lose that. Um, or even in certain off season phases, we're very much eating for function. So it's like, this is your meal. You just eat it. Um, you don't think about necessarily how full you're getting or when to stop eating um, or even like you're starving, hungry. And that's just like, that's all the food you get. So to try to reingrain like, Hey, I want you to stop eating when you get to like an eight out of 10, um, uh, for, for fullness. Um, the problem with that too, is like post-show, you know, you can be like a 10 out of 10 full, but in your mind, you're like one out of 10, like I can keep going like, no, you can't. So, uh, so yeah, we have to put in some type of like system in place of like, all right, we know like if you're going here and this is how much you can eat, but this is how much you, you should eat. So we try to like regulate it somewhat. Right. And you've probably done that with yourself, right? Do you still go out and eat a large pizza or do you like scale it back anyway? Or are you still like, yeah, oh, fuck it, I'm going to eat
0: pizza. <laughs> It depends. <laughs> no, yeah, but okay. I, I have I have learned because I've read, I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Joy of Half a Cookie, because I used to think that I was the kind of person who just could not, leave anything on my plate just couldn't do it and I was very like absolute about it but then I read this book and it made me realize that that was all like something I made up in my head that I just defined myself as and there are lots of strategies and lots of ways that you can enjoy your food without having to demolish every single morsel because that's what I felt if I didn't have the last grain that I didn't enjoy it properly uh, so learning how to kind of savor your food enjoy it but also enjoy the company the adventure, at and using food to complement where you are and who you're with instead of being the main focus that's what I kind of teach my clients is that the food is not the main focus the event is the friends family the conversations and then that kind of runs around the periphery and kind of when they look at it that way they're not so fixated on everything they're not scanning menus weeks in advance because it's not like the main focus for them
1: yeah and I find with a lot of females that I do coach and this can happen with males but it seems to be more common with females especially with how hard it is on the female body to go through a prep and with, you know, there's hypothalamic amenorrhea and just the shut down the hormone systems and everything that occurs along with, with that, that, and, and then with females competing, the idea of an off season, it, it's very short lived for a lot of females because the, the barrier to entry, like say for a bikini is lower on the muscle mass scale, not on the effort scale, but just as far as like, you don't need to be like, 160 pounds of muscle on stage. Right. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to be that big as beginning competitor. So the idea of like, what do I need this off season for? I don't need to build all this size. Um, I'll just prep again. And so, and then also because of social media, they want to stay a lot leaner too. So I end up seeing a lot of females that just never actually fully recover from a prep. So like all that, like food focus stays that drive to eat. And then hormone hormones have never been restored either. And it's like this big snowball effect that occurs. So, and, and that when it really does create a lot of like binge restrict patterns and then without these optimal hormones either, the food when they do eat like that, man, it really sticks as well. So uh, getting your females to a point where body fat's in a productive off-season state to where you aren't food focused. Uh, when, just like you said, Holly, like you have someone that's like fantasizing about what they're going to eat six days and for their their weekend you know and shopping the menu like you're not fully recovered from yeah. prep like you sh- that's not normal um you shouldn't even think about it to like maybe like the day like oh yeah i'm gonna go eat here like oh yeah i like this on the menu um, like or even when you're at the restaurant itself starting to think about it. like if, if you're having those type of like f- like uh fantasies like way in advance like you you might have to question if you actually truly are in a a off-season state where you're productive as a female, so you might not have body fat high enough.
0: And so in terms of your females versus males in off-season, do you have a different approach to them, like depending on their physiology and obviously like for bikini, um, don't need to gain as much muscle, so probably not as much body fat, because I find like there are a lot of um, American kind of bikini prep coaches who have like hundreds of competitors where they they don't advocate gaining a lot of weight in the off season. So I see some competitors sitting like five pounds, 10 pounds above stage weight. And that sets kind of high expectations of kind of people in the UK that are saying, you know, oh, I'm 10 kilos above my stage weight. Is that wrong? Like, am I too fat? It's kind of difficult to navigate that.
1: Yeah, so I have to, I first have to look at it like from, from the just the health approach and like to be able to repetitively compete year to year as a female you're going to have to have some restoration and because what the issue is is like losing the menstrual cycle and losing the production of estrogen and progesterone and testosterone and female doing that over the course of years has significant impacts for health heart health brain health this goes just beyond like the immediate of like Hey, I don't want a baby, John. It's no big deal. It's like, no, this is like long-term for like organ systems that you need these, these normal menstrual rises of estrogen and progesterone that are supposed to be occurring. And the longer you stay in this lean body fat, low calorie state, you might never get your menstrual cycle back. And the longer you do so, the harder it's going to be to get it back to where now we're questioning like, Hey, this is, this is having significant risk on your, on your health long term. And also to be able to continue to repeat this process of dieting, getting stage lean, dieting, getting stage lean, you need some points of bringing body fat up to a high enough level to where you do have all that restoration happening for thyroid function, the full hormone system. So the idea to stay like a female to stay just 10 pounds or, you know, uh, know, five kilos or something like above stage weight is just uh, ridiculous to me. Um, there are some anomalies that we can see, like the very top, top girls, um, are just a a genetic specimen of themselves. Like some of these girls don't lose their menstrual cycle, like being in crazy, shredded condition. Um, and then they come back or if they do, it's like a week, like a few weeks after like the menstrual cycle is right back and they're like fully restored. It's also females that can stay like at a baseline point of just leaner and be productive still. So we can't compare like to a lot of those females, but in general, uh, most females are going to have to come back to a level where you see that restoration of the menstrual cycle, which very easily is going to be 15% above stage weight easily. I can see that, you know, Um, and for like a body fat percentage to thrown out, we we usually see like, 22 to 24% body fat for a female is usually where like there's kind of optimal S progesterone function, good menstrual cycle function. Um, and so like that could be quite a bit above above stage weight for a lot of females. But um, if you're not taking yourself there, it's uh, going to be harder and harder to keep repeating that process. You see a lot of burnout and, and bikini girls is not, not getting better um, or worse. And then also for the long-term consequences of it. So Uh, There's a lot of things to consider within that. Uh, So I'm not a proponent of like having girls just like, Hey, stay really close to your stage weight. So you're within striking distance. Um, I think you need periods to like really bring yourself up so you can just repeat the process. not that you need to add muscle, but you need to get to an optimal point to where you can get competitive again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is tricky. I feel for females, especially, they're so emotionally attached to how they look to the scale to what they see on Instagram, to, you know, how, how they feel they should look according to society. It can be very difficult, like even like, because I'm not a full time online coach. I work in a normal job. Um, so when I was competing last time, I'd show up um, and in my off season, I was trying to gain weight. I come into work and people are asking me, why are you trying to gain weight? You know, what's wrong with you? You know, women should be small, women should be skinny. So you're trying to fight that every single day and that can be difficult because you start to question yourself thinking am I doing the right thing you know is this right for me um people telling you you're eating too much food like I had that every day well i you
1: you probably heard that too like you like lose some weight you're like hey you look great and yeah. then you're like then you're like gaining weight <laughs> like uh, and then they <laughs> we're like yeah no one's telling me I look great anymore um, so there's like probably a lot of like yeah Uh, mental challenges around that too from society so you just really have to make sure you're doing it for you and for the right reasons um as far as like the male to female approach though for off season i would say the big pieces are the same right how i want to progress someone up now if it's just like what do you need on stage so if you're a bikini competitor like hey all the muscles there it's not really having to be as progressive it might be a longer just kind of like a holding phase with food higher and just having like good health and metabolic function before we dive back into a prep so you might have you might be able to have a shorter season because that uh period to build muscle just isn't there but it still could be longer for restoring full health markers i've i've had some females that man it, it can take like 6 to 8 months just to restore like the menstrual cycle function and then you need to be able to hold that for a period of time before you start a prep again so that kind of is the determinant of, of the length of the off season phase that would need to occur. Um, as far as regulating, like if you're someone that would need to grow, like food increases in then that whole, whole process is relatively the same. Um, as far as working around like the menstrual cycle, i find some females, uh, it's some females have a little bit greater fatigue, like the week before, starting their menstrual cycle. And so I might have some training adjustments around that. Um, that might be times where I could schedule like deloads or scale back training around that. But other females, it doesn't impact. Um, and so I, I won't really change it, but it's based on, on that individual. Um, as far as like PDs are concerned, um, what, I, what I do find is it, it does seem like the length of use is more impactful than the um, necessarily the dosage in, in losing the menstrual cycle function. Um, that's really kind of the, the main thing that I don't want to happen. And so I'll do sh- like with my guys, it's a progressive scheme upwards, moving up and escalating over maybe 20 to 24 week period. Uh, with with females, it's shorter um, spurts of maybe six to eight weeks. And then, Removing that for a period of time, before we do like some other six to eight week, um, some other aspects with my females too that I, I've recently started implementing, and mainly has been with Renee because I've I've wanted to um, do it with her first before I, I get really some some you start tracking so much data with some individuals and it's overwhelming, mm-hmm. and then the adherence slips and they just fall off because of it so. But at least with some clients, I I do have them using like a menstrual cycle app to track their menstrual cycle. So we can see, for one, if it is occurring, but also what the average length is. Um, Then also when I'll have her do track her basal body temp. So we'll see like usually after you ovulate and you have a rise in progesterone, you'll see body temp increase. And ovulation is just so, so important for what happens. So we don't wanna classify menstrual cycle as just bleeding. Like, oh, yeah, I have a menstrual cycle. I have a, I have a bleed. Like, no, it's a whole process of a hormone cascade that should occur. Ovulation should occur. And then we should have a rise in progesterone, which is, is extremely important. So I can track her body temp. And if, when that body temp rise, we'll know it's like, okay, you, you ovulated. We're having a rise of progesterone. And this might be an indicator of time when I would pull labs on a female to see where all these levels are at. Um, a lot of females I see will have low progesterone level. Um, which is very, very common. So it's almost a kind of perimenopausal profile where it's not quite normal menstrual cycle flow. Um, low progesterone has a, a lot of its own issues with recovery. You, you kind of feel est- you might feel like estrogen excess. So they usually would have more like bloating, cramping around their menstrual cycles. Um, fatigue could be higher they could have more anxiety they have difficulty sleeping just recovery and performance in general could go down in this state so it's why it's important to to track that so that's part of one thing that I started tracking with with females now is to see what's what's normal for them and uh, if if you do have some changes around your menstrual cycle that we should accommodate for training Hmm.
0: so yeah there's just there's definitely a lot more Factors and variables to consider with females, and also I feel like they probably need a lot more reassurance, like emotionally, through the process as well, um because it can be a bit tricky. Because I, I think guys like often step on the scale and they're like, "Oh, I've gained weight. That's great." Whereas girls think the opposite. They're like, "No, I gained weight." So that could be a bit yeah,
1: of yeah. The actual like communicative side, it can be different. Um, and there is like there are for sure gender differences. And of course, like not to say there are aren't some guys that have like more feminine personalities traits not not bashing on these guys but there's guys that would um you know might do better with like certain forms of communication and reassurance versus some people just like or even girls i have like just give me the plan i'll do it and then, like the scale or anything doesn't matter like i just know like they, they already like have the buy-in of like, they're doing the right thing and that's enough for them. They don't need a coach there to be like that kind of cheerleader aspect. And I know there's coaches out there that say like, I'm not here to be a cheerleader for you. Like you'll have that on stage and your friends, but as a coach, you kind of, you kind of are, you know, and, and like, I want to see my clients do well. And I want to like give them encouragement when they are. So, uh, but there are certain clients that need that reassurance every week. And I'll see it in questions that'll pop up. Like, Hey, kind of worried about the scale this week, or like, oh, man, I'm feeling really like, really fat this week. It's like, okay, um, you just have to reassure them. Like, hey, you're you're in the right place. You know, you're you're in the right composition. Like, I like where body fat is right now, where all the directions are heading. You're checking off all these boxes. It's perfect, and so it just kind of like calms their mind down and removes some of that anxiety. And then even the form of communication. So some clients like are just fine with an email response. Some Some I'll have to do like a a Zoom, like not Zoom, like a loom recording and send a video response. So where they can see me kind of like walking through their plan. And then they also see like my reactions and how I can convey stuff better to them versus someone just in the written form. So it just varies, varies person to person. But I would say, yeah, you're right, Holly. Like for sure, like how you communicate with with females needs to have a, a bit more sometimes reassurance in that they are doing the right things and they're doing a good job and they're at where they're supposed to be at.
0: Yeah, definitely. I know I respond very well to praise and reassurance from Joe anyway. (laughs) Makes a big difference because yeah, it can be tricky. But like reminding yourself of the end goal. And what what helps me as well is knowing that regardless of whether you're in a prep or an off season, the ultimate goal is still the same. You're just in a different phase of it and you might have different kind of micro goals but the end goal is always the same. You're always working towards it in some way. Um, and that kind of helps me to kind of take a step out from my position I'm in right now. and kind of see the whole journey and the whole process.
1: It's hard in off season, like, because you don't have like in a prep, you have like this immediate body fat composition change. You're like, Oh man, wow. My body's has changing off season. You don't. So it's like, where am I heading? Like, what is this direction? Like, is this right? Um, so I, I usually try to redirect people a lot to their training. Because that is partly like what you can see improving week to week in some, some capacity, depending on how you're programming. So it's like, Hey, really focus on let's like, we're going to get strong this off season. Like enjoy your lifts. Like these are the cute things that be, you can be, you can't, you can't really be improving. So try to like put more focus on that versus what in the prep it's like the scale and the visuals and um, we just out the transition. Like, Hey, We still need the scale and visuals there. Like, let me look, assess those, and take care of that. But I want you to really focus and enjoy, like, your training and and trying to see those new those numbers change now, versus being so like hyper focused on like the visuals and scale.
0: Yeah, like enjoy the progression of the gym because you might not have towards the end of the prep.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can like finally actually like improve now. Like in prep, a lot of people get in prep and they're like, "All right, what body part do I need to work on?" It's like this is like the worst time. weak body parts or um, even for me, like, you know, you have injuries crop up or imbalances that are occurring. And it's like now in the off season, you can like fix all those. Like that's exciting. Um, And so like, that's the stuff I think you need to keep, like, you know, reinforcing with your clients, like what, what are the short term wins that you can get that that they can actually see daily that are motivating, but then still like, we can have picture of like the long-term and we're getting there, but doing these short, short short-term things is what's needed to get to that, that, long-term point
0: agreed yeah that was a very interesting conversation on the off-season I really really enjoyed it and I learned a lot and it's got me a bit more excited for my next off-season phase because I've just finished a mini cut and I'm like jumping into a new uh, a new gaining phase which is exciting before I start prep again um so yeah thank you very much for joining me on the podcast I really appreciate it um in terms of where people can find you what's the best way to get your content sign up to your course communicate contact anything like that
1: yeah I'm I'm most active on Instagram so if anyone wants to follow me and follow more of the content it's uh at John Jewett 3 I I do have a YouTube channel that is uh where I, I put my podcast J3 University up there and also some just like QA stuff that I'll do um that is John Jewett for my YouTube. Um, J3 university is my education coursework of basically how, how to enhance the physique or coach people to do it. And so just trying to improve that process and raise the bar for everyone that is a coach or self-coaching to do this in a more thoughtful approach, less risk approach. Um, and so that opens up the first week of every month for new students to enroll. And, uh, I post it all over my IG when that's occurring. So I, I don't do much coaching one-on-one. I have some clients, that I've just held kind of steady and constant. So uh, really the best way to get access to me would be through J3U now.
0: Yeah, I'd highly recommend the course because I I signed up to it just after Christmas and I'm about halfway through now. And it's, it's really good just to get an overview of kind of everything bodybuilding from deep and off season all the way up to show day and peaking. Um, and just get practical takeaways you can actually implement it's not all just hypothetical theoretical it's you know real stuff you can use on your clients or on yourself which has been very useful for me so
1: well cool I'm glad you enjoyed (laughs)
0: it I always have to be enrolled in something so I'm always looking for the next course or, or something to study so that was that's my current project
1: yeah same here I'm looking for one so I haven't found the next next education thing usually I start just reading studies and like and then I create my own education materials. So, yeah,
0: uh, yeah that's my, my aim as well is to eventually create my own course. So, I'm kind of looking around, seeing how I'd like to set mine up. I'd like it to primarily be kind of exercise mechanics related because that's my main focus at the moment um, and make it more understandable for people just getting into it. And so it's not overwhelming. And even for females because it, it, there is quite a lack of females in this particular area of the industry. So, I want to remove all the the scariness of it for them
1: yeah even even with like i'm sure you see a lot of the workouts that are thrown out for like bikini or wellness oh, yeah. and i'm and sure it's like strange <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it, like there's there's a there's a need for it like you'd be definitely be filling that need so um that that, that would, i'm sure would be successful
0: yeah fingers crossed so yeah that's a work in progress so watch the space um but anyway guys thank you very much for listening to the podcast if you tune in and you enjoy it i would love if you could take a screenshot share it to your story tag myself and john my instagram is at holly davidge i'd really really appreciate it also if you have any suggestions for future topics or guests or ideas feel free to slide into my dms and i'd happily take on any suggestions you have so yeah that's pretty much it guys thanks so much for listening and i will see you next time